In the weeks leading up to Easter, I was really trying to frame my mind primarily around someone experiencing church and considering God for the first time. Because a lot of us, I mean, we've, we've grown up in church. All that we've known is going to church on Sundays. And we can kind of forget um, what it looks like and what it feels like, all the, you know, that we have to consider when we come into an environment like this. And we talk about God, we sing songs, and we're like, well, it's really not, it shouldn't, it's not that obvious. And here's what I mean. Faith, I think, is hard. And maybe that's not a common thing to hear on a Sunday morning, you know, from the preacher up front, but I think it's important to address that faith and walking with God is, it's hard. It's a challenge. And and we have to remember the the number of people that are coming in, maybe for the first time, sitting in this kind of environment, looking around like, really? Wow, this, apparently this just, you know, belief in an invisible God comes naturally and easily. And so the weeks leading up to Easter, I was really thinking about this, trying to get into that mindset. My wife and I went to a new restaurant down in Covington, parked in the River Center garage there. And what I'm about to tell you, I debated whether or not to even share this because it's, it's, it's extremely embarrassing. Like, it makes me look really, really dumb. But if you're planning to visit that River Center garage, parking garage, I'm really helping you out, even though you probably don't need the help because you're not as dumb as I was in this scenario. So here's, here's the deal. We, we ate and, you know, we parked, we ate and came back and, you know, you have the little ticket that you take out and, you know, you got to put it in the machine, you know, to pay and things like that. Now, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and try to make some excuses for myself, you know, and laying this out. And so I'm in the car. So my view, you know, is blocked a little bit, like my peripheral. I know that excuse isn't working for you, but here's the visual. Obviously, I had my wife go back and take a picture of this after the fact. <laughs> That's too embarrassing. I might want to log that away to use at some point. Well, this is that point. And so have the ticket in my hand, and that ticket has like one of those, you know, magnetic stripes on it. And all, <laughs> my, my, I'm just fixated on that part that says magnetic stripe up and to the right. And so I insert that ticket eight, nine, maybe ten times, in, out, in, out. And, of course, Emily's in the pastor's seat. I'm like, I don't know. This is not working, right? Like, you all, are, you have, you've taken an objective view of, of this entire picture. You already know where this is going. You already know how dumb I was in that moment. Now, if you look at the bottom right, it says push button for assistance. Well, that bar's down. I'm not going to crash through the bar and make a scene and have that kind of story, you know. And so I was like, all right, I'm pushing the button for assistance. Nice guy comes out. And I'm like, I don't know. My, my ticket's not working. Now, you know what happens next. He takes that ticket. Wouldn't you know? Where does he put that? Not where I, you know, magnetic stripe up into the right. Yeah, they're magnetic up eight, nine, ten times. He takes it and then naturally, very quickly, puts it where it says on the left side, insert ticket. <laughs> the guy's a genius. He's a genius. He gets it. I know he's an employee there, right? He knows how things are supposed to work. And I immediately look over to Emily, like, oh, I'm an idiot. You know, <laughs> you know, she, was, she was thinking it. She wasn't going to say it out loud. She's a good wife. But... And, you know, it, the story even goes further because and this is, you talk about, you know, a very humbling moment. Like, he hands the ticket back to me. The bar raises. I don't even pay. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm feeling really small. Like, really. And so I, we don't have the conversation that I'm wondering about afterwards if he kind of put it together, how dumb I really was. You know, and maybe he's just a grace-filled guy, and, you know, it's not a busy night and letting me go. But here's the thing, and, the, and again, my mindset was about looking at Easter and framing my perspective around first-time guests and wondering, the things that are obvious to us aren't going to be obvious to everybody else. And so I wonder how many times 
we really need to kind of just pause and press reset and kind of step back from the life that we are living and kind of get a new picture, see the whole picture so that we can act in the right way and we can take the necessary steps. And so here, to be more specific, I think oftentimes when it comes to our search for God, and Brian alluded to this a little bit last week, we tend to look for him in the obvious, in the dramatic, in the significant, in the big. I mean, he's God after all, right? And so when you speak of a God who sits outside of space and time, the creator of the universe, it's like, wow, okay, I want a life-changing experience with God, right? And that, that can happen. But oftentimes when we're looking for him in the extraordinary, we miss him in the ordinary. When we're wanting him to be obvious, we're missing him in the subtle. And so sometimes I think when we come in and we go through the motions because it's Sunday and it's church, and we know how this works, right? Those of us that have gone to church for most of our lives, we lose out on the fact that faith is hard. And the search for God can be a difficult thing. And really it requires a daily discipline. So if you're in that boat where you're a first-time guest, whether it's today or two weeks ago on Easter, it's important for you to know that we're trying to step back. To take a look at this, get a fresh view of what it means to follow hard after God and to understand that the faith is a challenge. Faith is a difficult thing. And understand that the consequence of missing him in our ordinary everyday lives is missing out on the opportunity to walk with God. See, our aim as Christ followers is not to just observe God, to watch God, to show up to church and be like, oh, wow, you're doing a great job, God. I'm glad that I can be a Christian and be saved by you and then go on to my everyday life. No, it's to walk with him. I mean, if you're like me as a kid going to church, you know, it's easy to have the mindset of, what, what's church? Well, that's, that's where God lives. And so I'm going to go on Sunday, and I'm going to go sing to God. I'm going to go learn about God, and then I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to go, you know, play with my friends the rest of the week, and then, well, then Sunday will come, and then I'll go hang out with God again. No, faith is an everyday endeavor. Our aim is to walk with God. And there's two obstacles I want to focus on today. Two obstacles to living a life where we walk with God. We don't just watch him. We don't just, we don't just show up happy and saved, glad that we have God. No, we're walking with him. Two obstacles. First is this, the pace of our lives. And we get this, right? It's your first time at church. Like, yeah, we'll look around the world. It's constant frantic. The second is our inability to pay attention. Our inability, the discipline of paying attention. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's good news, isn't it? That's a promise. You will, and so this is, what we're, this is our aim over the next several weeks of the series. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So the first obstacle to this is our pace. Our pace. See, to seek God, we must first learn how to slow down. Psalm 46.10 simply says, Be still and know that I am God. Simply put, difficult to follow, difficult to live out, isn't it? Notice that to know God, the prerequisite is to be still, to stop, to pause, to understand that when we miss out on the in-betweens of life, the, the cracks in, in, in the excitement of life, right, we're missing out on the opportunity to engage the God that is there. So I think we've become so good at sacrificing the now because we're so fixated on the next. We can't... We, we've lost the ability to simply be where we are <laughs> because we're always looking at, all right, what's next? Right? It's like multi-sensory overload. So you experience something exciting. It's like, all right, what's next? 
And so we have something, most of us have something, right, called a smartphone these days that is technically a boredom destroyer. That's really what it is. This offers the opportunity to eliminate, eliminate any and every opportunity of experiencing boredom because we live in, in a day and age where we believe that boredom is the worst possible scenario of our lives. If I'm bored, then I'm not only unproductive, then I'm just not living an exciting life. And so by nature of social media, right, I'm not knocking that completely, I'm not going there. Some of you guys are like, oh, here we go, in the lecture, right? I got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. But think about the nature of scrolling, right? That's what, you know, those of you that don't have a smartphone, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'll come back in when you, you know, talk about something real. And so the nature of always looking at what's next. And so we're always on, we're always engaged, and we're really, honestly, always restless. Because to be still, in our day and age, seems like a nightmare. There's actually a study done on this, a very disturbing study, honestly. University of Virginia decided to do a study with both uh, men and women. And what they did is they gave them an electric shock, right? Bummer start to the study. But they... They did this electric shock, and naturally, the people were like, yeah, number one, I don't want to be shocked like that again. And number two, even to the point that they were willing to pay money so that they would not be shocked again. Here's what they did in this experiment. They put these men and women uh, in a room, each of them by themselves, and uh, the experiment was to, to you know, connect them to an electric shocker, and so that individual had control of whether or not they would be shocked or not. Right? So that would be ridiculous to actually shock yourself, especially after they've already experienced what that feels like. And so this is, this is crazy, right? And so what I'm about to tell you, you're like, wait a second, did that actually happen? Yes, this is the reality that we live in today. After 15 minutes of people, individuals sitting alone by themselves, no access to their phone, no music to listen to, quiet room, after 15 minutes, two-thirds of the men decided to shock themselves. That's unbelievable. <laughs> now, you're wondering the women, right? One-fourth of the women decided to shock themselves. The women are like, yeah, that's right. We're better at being still. We're better. Come on. Now, that's still pretty embarrassing. That's still really bad. I mean, this is the reality that we're living in. <laughs> that they would actually decide, well, I, it's just, there's just too much of nothing going on. So after 15 minutes, I've had it. I'm going to shock myself. Are you kidding me? Like, this is the addiction that our current culture has to multi-sensory overload. Dr. Tim Wilson, who helped conduct the study, here's what he concluded, based on those ridiculous results, but apparently the majority of us would do that. He said this, the mind is so prone to want to engage with the world, it will take any opportunity to do so. Scary, isn't it? It will take any opportunity to do so? There's a guy named Blaise Pascal. He was a mathematician, but also a theologian. Notice what he said. He puts it, puts it out there. He said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's ability, inability to sit quietly in a room alone. All? He said, he said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. You know when this guy, Blaise Pascal, lived? In the 1600s, 400 years ago. This is not a new problem. We're just becoming worse at being human. I mean, Blaise, this guy said that. It's more relevant than ever 400 years later. See, our addiction to constant engagement, I mean, it's, it's kind of led us to be consumers, hasn't it? 
constant consumers of everything we happen upon. Consequently, this is where it gets really embarrassing. We're not, it's not even a conversation about missing God in the ordinary. We're even missing God in the extraordinary. Research has been done on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. They wanted to find out what's the average time spent when somebody comes to the Grand Canyon for the first time, how long will they stand and experience and observe the south rim of the Grand Canyon specifically. There's a picture of it. Average time spent is 8 to 15 minutes. Now, obviously, there's other qualifiers there. Some of those people might decide to go to a different part of the Grand Canyon. They're going to experience, you know, going, walking down in the canyon. But this is very interesting uh, commentary on our culture. As far as when you're faced with one of God's greatest creations, one of the greatest wonders of the world, our mindset, our inclination, because of the way that we're living our lives, is that it's something for us. It's something to consume. Is that once we've admired it enough, once we've viewed this thing that exists for our admiration, then instead of sitting, being still, staying in the moment, we're like, what's next? Oh, the Grand Canyon is nice. What's next? <laughs> well, good luck with that. You're going to travel a long ways to find out something that should just floor you, overwhelm you, put you in a position of awe because it's not about you. It's pointing to something greater than you beyond our comprehension that there's a creator God, right, that's presenting himself in a way that should just be so amazing that we can't put it into words that it paralyzes us, that 30 minutes go by because we're simply sitting and reflecting and contemplating and we're just overwhelmed by the amazing experience that's like, oh wow, 15 minutes has gone by already? God is incredible. He's amazing. And so we're missing him even in the extraordinary. So when I examine my pace in life, when you examine your pace in life, the question becomes, are we deliberately slowing down so that we can pay attention to God's presence in our lives? It's going to require slowing down. Do I embrace empty space? Or when I have empty space on my day, on my calendar for the week or the month, am I inclined to fill it? Right? I think we are. We're inclined to fill it for the sake of the illusion of productivity and meaning. If I'm not doing nothing, then I'm making nothing of my life. That's the mindset often. Second obstacle is this. We lack the discipline of paying attention. I think we lack the discipline of paying attention. A couple months ago, I went to a conference, and it was a conference for pastors and their wives, so fortunately, I was able to take my wife, Emily. It was great, because we, the conference was in Phoenix, and so we decided to take a couple extra days, right, the baby moon, right? We're like, all right, this is the last time she can fly, so we're going to make the most of this. And uh, two hours north of Phoenix is Sedona. I know some of you have been there before. Amazing place, right? And so we love to hike and, you know, kind of experience the land and the views there. And we came upon a place that wasn't one of the most popular hikes. We didn't even know about this little spot. We didn't, you know, it was just as we were driving in, like, let's pull off here and kind of see what this, what this trail is about. And there was this one spot that they told us to go to. And it wasn't just because you could get a great view of the red rocks. It was because there was more than that. But it was something that you could miss if you're just walking by. If you just want to see it, take a picture and move on. Here it is. And this isn't like a postcard. This is a picture that Emily actually took. And so you, you come up like, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's pretty cool that you can see the rocks. But hopefully you already noticed it. If you take more than just three seconds of taking a picture and stand and choose to be still for a couple minutes in that moment, what really puts you in awe is the reflection in the water of the rocks. There's more than just what you catch a glimpse of. When you immerse yourself in the moment, you realize that's beautiful. That's amazing. That's exactly positioned where the rocks can reflect off the water, and it just causes you to just stop to be still and to admire, not to just move on to what's next. 
Simply put, our aim is that as we are living, we're looking. As we live our lives, we're looking for God. He's not just found on Sunday. We don't just wait to get to Sunday to experience God. As we're living every day, we're looking for him. Our lives are meant to consist of a constant search for God. Unfortunately for me, you know, talk about things like this. The problem is sometimes I have to go on vacation to wake up to the reality of God. I don't know if you've been there. There's a phrase maybe you're familiar with. It's this, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. Think about that. That which is familiar, over a certain period of time, we end up resenting. Now, we all have different examples of this, right? Whether it's a certain food that you may have loved the first time you had it, but then you had it too many times, or the career that you've had that you loved when you first started, but over decades it's become monotonous, it's become mundane, or it's a, a relationship, a long-term relationship. Familiarity, breeding contempt, become, it means something familiar has become predictable, it's become mundane, right? There's no surprise, there's no spontaneity, those certain emotions that came in, in the first pursuit or experience of that are no longer there, and now you're resenting the very thing that you first began to love? What is that? That's immaturity, isn't it? It's having not allowed the richness of those things, the richness of even predictability itself, that experience, to mature you. You know, I've always been so convicted by, by couples who've been married for 30 or 40, 50 years, and they'll say things like, the person that I'm married to now is, doesn't resemble at all the person I first married. At first, first hearing that sounds kind of scary, <laughs> but the relationship has grown. It's deepened. I mean, the person you married, you were physically attracted to, it was exciting, you had chemistry, right? You're like, there's fireworks, all that kind of stuff. Like, wow, we're going to be great together forever. But if you're dependent on that for forever, then what are you going to do? Familiarity breeds contempt. You're going to resent what has become predictable, what has become mundane, as opposed to going the opposite way to embracing what you deeply know. It's why so many people, and it's so unfortunate how often it happens, they've been married even 30 or 40 years, and they jump ship in their marriage. Why? They might not put it in these forthright words, but they're really pointing to boredom. They met somebody else, and it was that much more exciting. They used dumb words like soulmate. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, that's just the reality that we live in, as opposed to embracing what has become so familiar that we're no longer constantly searching for what is superficial because it's exciting and it has certain emotions alone, but we're resting in the deep emotion of the mundane experience. It sounds crazy, but that's where maturity lives. We've lost sight of the joy we experience in it becoming familiar. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. This is not something, mean, this might be a familiar scripture, right? But think about that. Every, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. What does that mean? There is nothing in this world that is truly good that has any other origin than from God the Father. He's connected to all things that are truly good. So the question becomes, do we see God literally in everything good? The taste of our food, right? There's, come on now, there's no thing too small. The taste of our food, right? What's right, we eat it slow, we actually taste it. We're giving thanks to God. Watching the sunset, oh man, that happens every day. That's gotta get boring, right? I mean, I've, I've, Emily and I find ourselves watching sunsets on vacation. Like, why don't we do this at home? The sunset's there. <laughs> Again, we've got to go on vacation to wake ourselves up to the reality of God. It's like, oh, well, that'll happen tomorrow. 
with slowing down, embracing with the, the significance of the creator God. Laughter in the workplace, right? If you ever have a, you know, laughter in the workplace, you're like, oh, well, it was kind of a, really, a moment of unforeseen joy there, laughter in the workplace, an opportunity to thank God for something good. Having a friend who just understands, it's God. A hug at the end of the day. Having dishes to do. Again, there's no small thing. I mean, chores, the things that are like, we just want to put our, our time in so we can get to something more exciting. It's the very thing in the, in the in-between cracks of life, right, that can be monotonous, that can be laborious. But what does that represent, having dishes to clean? It means we have food to eat. Having a house to clean, wow, gratitude toward God. Like, yeah, I'd rather be doing other things, but this is an opportunity to experience God himself, the giver of all good things, a baby to feed, a car to go to work in. There's no such thing as a small good thing because it comes from God. If it's good, it came from God. I have a spiritual experience every single time I eat at Chipotle. That is my embrace of the, the mundane. Some of you already know that. Now, it's important to know, and again, I, I understand there's always new people coming into church and like, hey, yeah, that's great, that sounds nice, I'd love to get to that point. But here's what you need to understand. All of us need to understand this. The primary purpose of the timing of our existence in the here and now on this earth is so that we can find God. God created us for such a time as this. Why? Not so that we can just have a great life, but so that we can solely find him. Acts chapter 17, amazing scripture, 20, verse 26. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Here it is. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Don't miss this next part. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And this next verse, verse 28, is really the summary of the purpose of our lives. For in him we live and move and have our being. He is our everything. Why, why, why am I here, right? You ever ask that question, right? You're growing up and like, oh, what's the purpose of life? Why am I here at this time? What does God want me to do more than anything else? To find him. My purpose at this point in the history of the universe is to show up to God, to see him in everything. The purpose of my life is to find God so that we can spend our lives walking with him through every moment of every single day. So may we not miss him in the ordinary, only looking for him in the extraordinary. I read a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Uh, it was really it offered great fresh perspective on this. The author, Tish Warren, she said this, the crucible of our formation is in the monotony of our daily routines. Think about that. Like, I want to grow in my relationship with God, right? We want that to be big. We want it to be dramatic. We want to have a story. We want to, you know, certain big life experiences, right? You go on a mission trip, they serve that. But she said, the crucible of our formation is in the monotony of our daily routines, our approach to the mundane itself. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 puts it pretty directly. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Every single opportunity that we have is to, to live life is to bring glory to God. And then we get to live in such a way where our lives echo the words that we read in Isaiah 6, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth. See, there's nothing more important than the glory and presence of God on display in my life. Let me say it again. There is nothing more important than the glory and presence of God on display in my life. 
Why am I here? To put God's glory on display. Life is not about me. It's about God. It's about me reflecting God in my everyday life. But you get this. We naturally get this. We have to slow down. We must slow down in order to live in the now. We have to. Dallas Willard, I love this, uh, this quote, this perspective that he offers. He says, where transformation is really carried out is in our real life, where we dwell with God and our neighbors. Think about that word dwell. How often are, do we dwell? Like, I'm just, I'm just sitting here. I'm just choosing to be in this moment. I'm choosing to dwell with God. He says, and our neighbors. He says, first we must, don't miss this, first we must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as the very place of God's kingdom and blessing. This is great. He says, God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. Pretty straightforward. Common sense. Pretty profound, isn't it? My calling is to be exactly where I already am because that's where God wants to use me and bless me. See, when we're constantly focused on what's next instead of what's now, we miss out on God. But even more so, we miss out on the opportunity to be fully present with those that God has put in our lives. See, I could end and this message and we talk about tasks and enjoying the, the small things of life, but we would miss the main point, right? Yes, we can experience God in the things that we do every day, but we'd be falling short if we didn't aim at loving the one that God has put in our lives in the moment that we're in, because by loving other people, we're loving God himself. What's most important to God? It's people. It's relationships. To be present with another is to be present with God. This presents a lot of opportunity, doesn't it? The reason why is because every person represents the face of Christ himself. We love God by loving others. I mean, I think you'd agree to be fully present with the one we are with in the moment, I think is the greatest gift we can give to another. I mean, that's the purest form of hospitality, knowing that the person that you're with is happy to be with you, right? You ever been in a moment, you can tell that that person is just ready to go on to the next thing, Right? They might be even looking around, they're like, yeah, tapping their foot or whatever, like, yeah, let's wrap this thing up because I got stuff to do. I got somebody else more important to talk to, right? But it's different. If you're with somebody and you know that they would not rather be anywhere else in the world, you feel like you are the sender of the universe because they're giving you full attention, it's the greatest gift you can give somebody is to be fully present in the moment. But to become bored with the very people God has put in our lives has unfortunately become too common a tragedy. Because it's familiar. It's predictable. But it's in that, the, the, that very relationship, those opportunities, that richness in relationship is found. Because we're connecting it to God who has orchestrated time itself so that we could love the one in front of us. So may we never grow bored or bitter or even forever annoyed by those God has put in our lives to be loved well. It's a great opportunity. Last Sunday was the end of uh, one of the most prestigious uh, golf events, um, golf tournaments called the Masters. And uh, there's four majors, right? For all you non-sports people, you're like, okay, get to the point. But uh, it's a big deal. And so the guy that won it, Patrick Reed, he's 27 years old. And the first time he had won the Masters, first time he'd won any major of any sort. And those of you who watched it and followed up some of the stories afterwards know where I'm going because it came... uh, to find out that uh, his family, his mom and dad and his sister, weren't there watching him in person, but were instead three miles down the street watching him win on TV. Why? This is a sad part of the story. We'll come to find out, and again, there's always more details than what we find in reading articles on the internet. I get that. But he's estranged from his family. When he was in his young 20s, he decided to get married, and there was a certain set of circumstances there where he decided that he no longer wanted to be in relationship with his family. 
And so even to the point where uh, the article that I read alluded to a couple of times where the family showed up at a tournament and they were, they were kicked out. So this is a very bad set of dysfunctional circumstances. And so here's, here's his family watching on TV, the son that they loved, but they haven't talked to in over five years, when the biggest tournament that exists and uh, experiencing joy like he's never experienced before. And so I thought about, you know, obviously he's, he's, he's flying high in that moment and he's got the green jacket, right, which is, you know, a bigger deal than a trophy that you get at most tournaments that you win. And he's going to be riding that joy for a long time to come. And he's married and he has a kid, right? He's got a lot of good things in his life. But there will come a time where the lights will fade, the glitz and the emotion of that moment. I right? still got the green jacket, still got that to hold on to, the memories. But there will come a time where all he is faced with after his career is over, he's no longer physically able to achieve what he's achieved, was the pinnacle of his achievements, and he's faced with the ordinary, mundane nature of every day. Yeah, he's probably still a big deal, but he's probably no longer able to hold on to the emotion that he's had there to create the fullness of joy that he's truly seeking. And in the ordinary, mundane of the moment, the question becomes, who's around him? Who's with him? Who's he going through life with. I have to believe there'd be a lot of regret if at that point there hasn't been certain sort of reconciliation that has taken place. His family longs for it. And again, I know there's more details that, that we don't know about. But who is there with, with him? Who's there with us to experience those moments for the rest of our lives? That will determine the richness of our lives. God and people, relationships are the meaning of life. So let me be clear. There is no such thing as an, in, as an insignificant moment or conversation, there's no small thing where God can't be found. If you don't believe me, just ask someone who has lost a loved one. And you ask them what they long for more than anything else, what they miss. They're not going to tell you a story about a big moment or a big event. When you ask someone who's lost a loved one what they want, they just want one more conversation, one more shared moment, a smile, a hug an opportunity to say I love you as they go out the door. It's those small moments, those familiar moments, the moments that they had a million times over that they long for again. It's time we slow down so that we can pay attention to all that God is up to right where we already are. He's there. And love, the opportunity to love him and to love others exists. We don't have to go anywhere. We just have to be all in where he already has us and who he has us around. Let's go to God and pray. We need some help in figuring this out.